Uh, can I read you some more of that book that, that we were doing yesterday by uh, Robert? Yeah. I think it's Robert Johnson, right? Yeah, that's fine. You like that book, right? Yeah. All right, so it says, A simple man, Don Quixote, enjoys his secure relationship to life, which is natural, on the happy and safe. This proceeds to stage higher on the evolutionary scale represented by Hamlet, the worried, anxious, driven, and unhappy man who can conduct his life only tragically. Fortunately, there is a guide to lead us out of the morass of the three-dimensional man's self-consciousness to the enlightenment of the four-dimensional man. The guide comes from Johann Wolfgang von Goethe, the German Shakespeare who wrote his masterpiece Faust as a thinly disguised autobiography. The story of Faust is an old one, but it describes the dilemma of modern Western man so exactly that it becomes a lifeline for us. Any thoughts? The Shadow. Hamlet's basic error was his failure to incorporate the shadow or dark side into his working life. Any thoughts on that? No. If Hamlet had been able to acknowledge as an ally the red blood of the instinctive nature, he would have shaken loose from his paralysis. Instead, he stayed poised between his two natures, ego and shadow, and died in a tragic death. Faust picks up where Hamlet lost the battle and provides a solution for us. It, uh, to, to this modern dilemma. Any thoughts? No. Anyways, I I talk. I guess, huh? I guess this is all just a different way of talking about um, upgrading your way of seeing. Oh yeah, so I, I talked to a rabbi today, Grandpa, and uh, I'm thinking of may maybe going to Israel and going to a yeshiva. Oh, really? Yeah, I'm thinking of going to a yeshiva over there. Ah, that'd be that'd be interesting. Yeah, I mean, I well, think this is not huh? this is not a good time to be going. This is not a good time to be going there, though. Yeah, but not necessarily a bad time either. Yeah, but there's a lot of war going on. Yeah, I was thinking that I could get the quadrant stuff big amidst the chaos. Yeah, it could be. Yeah. I was thinking they might put me in power, you know? <laughs> no, have, have you seen the quadrant model? Well, but what does that have to do with putting you in power? No, they, they might say, look, we, we discovered God. We can rebuild the temple now or something like that. It could bring peace. Well. Any thoughts? Well, yeah. Yeah, I have a lot of thoughts about that. Right, well, any thoughts? They're not... When they're engaged in war, they're not interested in peace. Hmm. Neither side is interested in peace. Yeah, but it's not really a, a war yet, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's destruction, buildings being bombed and destroyed. It's crazy. Right, well, you better talk with him about that. You better talk with him about that first. Okay. All right, but ready? So it says he finds his way out of this paralysis by interacting with his shadow. Mephistopheles until each has been redeemed. The story of Faust is one of the great statements of optimism, hope, and redemption in Western literature. Any thoughts? Faust is a story of a highly complex, intelligent man who must come to terms with his dark side. The play begins with a prologue in heaven that would be unbearable were it not taken very close from the book of Job. Any thoughts? God and the devil are having a conversation. They are apparently on familiar terms with each other, and they converse easily. They are talking about creation. God asks how humanity is is faring. The devil replies, oh, very badly. The worse for your having given them reason. God inquires specifically about his servant Faust. Any thoughts? The devil reports that Faust is doing very badly, is utterly miserable and suffering terribly. God and the devil take then make a wager. The devil asks God to permit him to divert Faust from the path that is true and fit. God replies, Faust will not succumb to your temptations. 
he will stay true. And the devil replies, I wager that he won't. This wager in heaven is a prototype of the wager made between Faust and Mephistopheles a little later in the play. It is sobering to find that the split between the ego Faust and the shadow Mephistopheles is an archetypal reality and is not just local in origin with individual man. Any thoughts? The story begins, the inflated man, the story begins with Faust, a middle-aged college professor just becoming wise enough to know that he knows nothing. He has reached the pinnacle of success, the highest position possible for him, but finds himself alone, unrelated, his life meaningless. Goethe once commented that if a man raises his head to the stars, then the clouds play with his feet. When one's reality function, the feet on the ground ability is threatened, an encounter with the dark side, Mephistopheles, is the corrective. Any thoughts? Again, I guess he's talking about your level of consciousness. Mm. Faust has known intuitively that he would come to this point of hopelessness and in anticipation of this terrible moment has kept a vial of poison in the back of his desk drawer. One day, when his feelings of loneliness and meaninglessness reach an unbearable point, he retrieves a poison. This is a terrible moment in the life of an intelligent man. He now sees that his level of consciousness, his perspective on life, will not support him. He has explored discipline and self-consciousness, only to find them a dead end. The exploration is absolutely essential in one's evolution, and the man who has not trodden that road is not eligible for the moment of despair that is also the moment of redemption and enlightenment. This is the midlife crisis, the mute suffering of existential man, the dark night of the soul. This is experience of intelligent man, the heroic man, the one who has reached the goal of modern consciousness. That is what happens when you reach the top of the ladder only to find that it was set up against the wrong wall. Any thoughts? <laughs> yeah, I guess... I guess... Uh... It's a tower, of, another tower of Babel idea. It is the very best man who suffers with uh, this Hamlet crisis. Lesser man take refuge in guilt at their inadequacy or blame their environment or find yet another set of windmills to vanquish. Anything but face the terror of seeing that three-dimensional consciousness is not bearable, no matter how finely developed it is. Any thoughts? It is a compliment. I guess, it's, mm. oh, I guess it, the ego is magnificent in its accomplishments. Mm -hmm. It is a compliment of the highest order when a man finds that he cannot go farther and that his life is an irredeemable tragedy. His ego... Consciousness is stalemated, and this stalemate is the only medicine that will drive him out of the Hamlet tragedy and inspire him into new consciousness. Any thoughts? If all this magnitude cannot be repaired, but can be healed only by finding a whole new level of consciousness from which to function. Hamlet, the ego-centered man, fails. Faust, who learns a center of gravity greater than himself, redeems that failure. If one were a genius, the process would be inspirational. But for most of us, it is experienced as the torture of the end of at the end of the of the end of the rope. This divine hellish point is the critical moment that can make or break the rest of a man's life. Hamlet fails at this moment. Faust, with the goading of his shadow, Mephistopheles finds a correct way. Any thoughts? Yeah, I guess Hamlet couldn't make that phase transition. This is the perennial music. Just as Faust is about to drink the poison and end the unbearable suffering of his isolation, he sees and hears a vision of Easter music. A heavenly choir appears and so inspires him that he forgets the poison and rises to a new understanding and consciousness. The Easter music Faust hears is available to any person, but it generally takes a great crisis before the ego of an ordinary Westerner is humble enough to bear that perennial music. Any thoughts? Faust sets the poison aside and goes to mingle with the festival crowd outside his study. He dances with a peasant girl, accepts a stain of beer, 
and draws close to the ordinary world, which only, only moments before had seemed so alien to him. For a man who has been locked up in his hamlet isolation for half a lifetime, the experience of human warmth and closeness is a reprieve from hell. Any thoughts? If you can wait just a little longer, when you reach a terrible moment of the dark night of the soul, the Easter music will burst forth. For Faust, the first appearance of the vision is brief, the length of a dance with the peasant girl, and the draft of one stain of beer, but it is promise enough to save him. Kafka once said in a moment of anguish that the second coming of Christ would happen the day after the end of the world. Any thoughts? Yeah, well, I guess that's when you're up against the wall. There's nothing that gets you through the wall. That's that that sense of realization that I'm powerless to to achieve what it is that I've been looking for. Any Only then can you be open a realization. Any thoughts with Mephistopheles and all that? No. It says this is also true of that moment of utter collapse. In a man of three-dimensional consciousness, just before the first redemptive vision of four-dimensional consciousness breaks through, Kafka could not wait that one day in between the two levels, so he remained in despair. It is not uncommon for men to get stuck in this no-man's land. It is a holy place, but an exceedingly dangerous one. Suicide is common, and it is easy to slip into despair or the solace of madness. It is a high compliment that one should experience this existential anguish, but it is also a terrible danger. Any thoughts? Yeah, I guess that's what's called the liminal space. Any thoughts there? No. The fact that our culture has lost most of its guidelines for people at this point of their evolution oh, wait. makes it all the more difficult. For these guidelines, we turn to Faust. It is certainly not the only set of guidelines for the journey, but it is a product of Western mind and is couched in terms that we can understand. It is a fresh statement of an ancient art, which gives it special relevance today. Any thoughts? Yeah, well, I guess it's saying it's very difficult to come up with a strategy or a, a plan for getting there from here, but at least there's some, some guidelines. It doesn't. The Black Poodle. Faust is refreshed, has found new energy to support him, but then he does exactly the wrong thing with his energy. Faust's assistant, uh, Wagner, Mr. Dry as Dust, calls him to go back to his dry, isolated study and resume his work. And Faust responds, returning to the very life that had dried him up and led him to despair. But as Faust and Wagner re-enter their study, a stray Black Poodle that has attached itself to Faust worms its way in through the door between their feet. Faust's shadow has been made visible and given physical form and will not be taken off. What a strange result from a heavenly vision. Any thoughts? We are conditioned to think that a great vision will bring angelic experience, creativity, delight. It does, it does but its most salient effect is to constellate the shadow. The conscious hope is for angelic things, peace, love, creativity. But it is a shadow that brings the energy to live as a human being. Any thoughts? No. no one can be anything but a partial being, ravaged by doubt and loneliness. Unless he has close contact with his shadow, the shadow consists of those aspects of your character that belong to you but that have not been given any conscious place in your life. Faust has uh, gambled too long in the empyrean heights of thought and abstraction and theory it is the black poodle a symbol of his shadow that will make life possible for him any thoughts assimilating one shadow is the art of catching up on those facets of life that have not been lived out adequately wholeness implies that we must find those parts of ourselves that are missing in life any thoughts so that that's like you know he, he, Expanding your spectrum of awareness, becoming aware of all the parts of yourself. Well, I feel like you know he's he spent his whole his whole life in abstraction and in thought, and now he's saying, okay, now I got to spend some time in the world to to gain a deeper perspective and appreciation. Otherwise, I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to be reborn in this world so I can experience the other half. Any thoughts? Yeah, well, I 
that's what he's saying. It says, it is a wonderful moment when the black poodle enters Faust's study. Faust has a shadow now through which God can touch him and redeem him. The black poodle makes redemption possible. The truth cuts so strongly through our sentimentalized thoughts about goodness and redemption that many people finally refuse to believe it and automatically stunt their spiritual development for the rest of their lives. Any thoughts? There are now three in the study, a far more powerful combination than just two. The poodle will bring energy and paradox, both of which are necessary for redemption. In fact, there is so much energy in the room that as the poodle moves about the study, flames leap up from its footprints on the stone floor. This is not unlike the manifestation of Shiva that are so often accompanied by flames in Hindu mythology. Shiva is an Indian god of destruction, certainly a carrier, carrier of paradox for a Western mind. It is only when creation, Brahma, and destruction, Shiva, are both present that wholeness is possible. Any thoughts? No. I mean, I remember Dr. Hora talked about that. He talked about cosmic consciousness, which would be like Vishnu. And he also talked about cataclysmic consciousness, which is Shiva. And he thought that they both were important. Like, any thoughts to that? I don't, I don't remember that. Well, in, in that dream book I was reading. But it says, The Missing Energy. Faust decides to do some work, a regression to his old way of life. But even this is enlivened. Now, dissatisfied with the translation of the beginning line of the gospel, according to John, he sets to work on a new translation. In the beginning was the word. It's precisely the one-sided attitude that has brought such inertia to Faust. And it is this perspective that he now challenges. He strikes upon a new attitude for the beginning of his gospel. In the beginning was the act. And a whole new consciousness of life opens up to him. It is difficult to comprehend at first glance what a challenge, what a change in attitude. Any thoughts? What an expansion of consciousness, the alternation of the one word can make. The lifelong scholars who who has lived by words now embraces the word world of action and finds a whole new dimension of life. Any thoughts? At the moment when Faust changes the text from word to act. The poodle is so excited and energized that it races around the room, leaving footprints of flame. Then it disappears behind the old tile stove that is part of every German study and emerges as Mephistopheles, his lordship, the devil. Any thoughts? When your shadow finally becomes incarnated, there is often a huge influx of energy. This is the return of vitality that was missing in Hamlet, the man, the man of three-dimensional consciousness. It has also been missing in Faust because of his one-sided life as the man of word rather than act. But the problem is far from solved. His lordship, Mephistopheles, announces himself as part of... Uh, what, part of the part which was once whole. This hints at the work that is to be the task for the rest of the story. Humanity's original wholeness must be restored and reinstated. This cannot be accomplished by going back to an earlier stage of consciousness. The attempt to go back or romanticize the good old days is a common political theme in American culture. It, any thoughts? Yeah. It usually marks the desire to avoid difficult times ahead. And of course, it is always a lie. Nostalgia means business profit, but psychological disaster. You must go forward from the Garden of Eden through the painful time of transformation to the heavenly Jerusalem, which is a symbol for the wholeness of man restored. Any thoughts? Yep. Mephistopheles greets Faust, after which they enter into the famous contract, which is to restore youth and vitality to Faust for 24 years. This contract is the center of the Faust story, and it is worth examining carefully because it reveals the nature of Goethe's genius. Christopher Marlowe's play, The Tragedy of Dr. Faustus, written in the late 16th century, gave a traditional presentation of the pact. Simply, Faust was to pay for 24 years of restored youth by yielding his soul to the devil. In the last scene of Marlowe's uh, version, Faust is led away into the flames of hell by a triumphant Mephistopheles, a terrifying prospect. 
to lose your soul for a few years of youthful vitality. Any thoughts? No. Gerda's version of the story, however, adds a provision to the pact. Faustus told that it at no time along the way he says, Linger, thou art fair. He will be free at the end of the 24 years. In other words, if Faust can experience the unlive, unlived life of his youth but not become attached to any part of it, he is free. Any thoughts? Unlike Marlowe, Goethe teaches that the, it makes me think of the basketball DVDs, you know? Or, you know, but it says, unlike Marlowe, Goethe teaches that the unlived life and who does not have huge store of unlived life following him like a reptilian tail can be caught up, restored, recovered, and experienced without doing basic damage to one's inner life. Faust indeed causes a great deal of damage in his Mephistophelian journey, but he can remain safe spiritually if he re refrains from attachment to any of his experiences. This is a spiritual truth so profound that it takes years of, of observation before its full impact can be comprehended. Any thoughts? Yeah, read that last sentence again. Faust indeed causes a great deal of damage in his Mephistophelian journey, but he can re remain safe spiritually if he refrains from attachment to any of his experiences. This is a spiritual truth so profound that it takes years of observation before its full impact can be comprehended. Any thoughts? My uh, attachment to any of your experiences, yeah. I'm, I'm not sure of all the implications of that. Any thoughts, man? So it says, no. so, so off they, do you like this so far? Yeah. So off they go, Faust and Mephistopheles appear of opposites as black and white. The tension between them alerts us to the most important lesson in Faust, that all of one must be redeemed. It is not a matter of the triumph of one part of oneself over another. At the beginning of Faust, the two partners are as unlike each other as possible. At the end, they have tempered each other until they are nearly indistinguishable. The point of the Faustian transformation is, is that opposites temper and restore each other rather than one overcoming the other. Any thoughts? No. At the beginning of the relationship, Faust is weak, shy, frightened, and inept. Mephistopheles is ruthless and bold, without morality or ethics. At the end of the play, Faust has become strong and Mephistopheles has learned to love. Such is the true transformation of a pair of opposites tempering, not, not triumph. Any thoughts? It's I idea. guess you become a, mm -hmm. you become a full personality when you get to that fourth level. Like like you become balanced. Yeah. But beyond balanced, like a transcendental type of balance. But but I was thinking though, it, it's like the idea that they're good and bad. Good is not good. Bad is not bad. The demigods are not good. The the devils are not bad. There's, yeah. You know any thoughts on that? Yeah, that's good. A long series of adventures occupies the middle of the play. Briefly, the pair go to a tavern where Faust, for the first time in his life, experiences what it is like to be an irresponsible youth. He doesn't think much of the experience. It is not fascinating, as he had imagined it might be. Mephistopheles replies that he promised Faust youth and experience, not happiness. Faust begins to wonder about his bargain. Any thoughts? Then they go to a witch's kitchen where Mephistopheles brews up a concoction that will make Faust fall in love with the next woman he meets. Faust soon meets Gretchen, a girl so pure that Mephistopheles mutters, what can I do with a girl on her way home from confession with nothing to confess? Mephistopheles schemes to change this by wooing Martha. Any thoughts? That's an interesting puzzle. Mephistopheles. Gretchen's friend, who quickly succumbs to Mephistopheles' advances, finally Gretchen, who is vulnerable to Martha's example, consents to being courted by Faust. Any thoughts? Faust succeeds in seducing Gretchen. Soon she is pregnant and her ch childlike way utterly dependent on Faust. Gretchen's brother, Valentine, 
a soldier just home from the wars, sees the situation clearly and challenges Faust to a duel. He is killed by a sword thrust that Mephistopheles has taught Faust. Any thoughts? Mephistopheles then takes Faust to the witch's Sabbath, where every form of sensual nonsense rages out of control. Faust is miserable with this and complains to Mephistopheles that he is having no pleasure or happiness. Mephistopheles once again reminds Faust that he promised youth and vitality, not happiness. Any thoughts? Faust returns to find that Gretchen, blinded by her misery and shame, has killed her newborn child and committed suicide. Faust is utterly miserable and rages at Mephistopheles, who replies, Well, was it you or I who got Gretchen pregnant? Faust realizes that his newfound freedom and youthfulness has created little but destruction. Part 1 of Faust ends in profound but conscious suffering. Any thoughts? So it says, The Longing. What was it? Have you ever read this book before? No. It says, there is a terrible lesson to be learned from part one. It is a chronicle of the hungering of a middle-aged man for the youth he miss missed. And what modern person does not have large measure of life unlived in him as he approaches the midpoint of his life? To make the hungering of his unlived life literally is to fall into the tragedy of part one of Faust. There are not enough... Adidas shoes, Hawaiian shirts, or exercise machines in the world to fill the middle-aged man's longings for his youth. Civilization has cost us a huge portion of unlived life and payment for the high specialization it represents. Any civilized person pays a price for the culture and civilization that he has wrested from the raw material of his character. To attempt to live out these unlived sections of ourselves literally is to fall into Faust's air and end part one of our lives in depression and misery. Few misconceptions of modern man cost him so heavily as this tendency toward literalness. If Goethe, any thoughts? If Goethe understood this in the early 19th century, it is a hundred times more urgent for us to understand it today. The American ideal of perpetual youthfulness dies very hard in us. We are so materialistic and so enamored of the power of will that we refuse to relinquish what is irretrievably out of our reach. The lesson of part one of Faust is a sobering and inescapable fact. There is no literal solution to unlived life. The water that has passed under the bridge has indeed passed us by forever in an external sense. If Faust were to stop at this point, it would be a gospel of such despair that it would have much the same effect upon us as Goethe's earlier work, The Sorrows of Young Werther. Many a copy of this book has been found beside a suicide. Any thoughts? A lesson of part of great value can ha can be had from Faust, part one. The problems of meaninglessness and loneliness, the results of our unlived lives, can be made conscious. This is a painful task, but it sets the stage for what we need to learn in part two, the best guide in Western literature for resolving the Faustian dilemma. Any thoughts? The, the imaginative realm. As George Bernard Shaw observed, there is no alternative in life to torture except fine art. We can find an alternate interior environment for experiencing and integrating our lost youth in the realms of symbol, ceremony, art, and imagination. These languages exist apart from time and space. Any thoughts? Hearing them can bring the Easter music again, allowing Faust to permanently absorb into it later in life. Thus far, Faust has only seen one brief vision of this super personal realm. Just enough to keep him from despair, the separateness that had fallen upon him. A man caught in the early stages of three-dimensional consciousness finds little nourishment in the remnants of his two-dimensional consciousness. Sports, play, adolescent behavior, closeness to nature, adventure, hero worship. So also a man at the close of his three-dimensional consciousness can get a small trickle of nourishment to the anticipation of the four-dimensional consciousness. Faust's vision of the Easter music was such an experience. It is the dead center that is so dangerous when one is shut off from both the two- and four-dimensional worlds. That terrible day Kafka spoke of that sits between the end of the world and the second coming of Christ. Any thoughts? The dilemma is voiced in Nicodemus's question to Christie. Must a man enter his mother's womb a second time? 
Christy replies, no, except the man be born of the water and the spirit, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. This is to say that man cannot be redeemed from his unfulfilled life by any literal rebirth, but he can be redeemed by the water of the spirit, the world of imagination and symbol. Any thoughts? Yeah. can be born again into a whole new dimension of reality, awareness of reality. Mm-hmm. It says the horrible tangle imagination and symbol make up a realm of experience in our interior lives where the ego is important, but not dominant inner work requires that the ego consent to a subordinate, but still important role with inner work. You take part in a process in which every element of life, including the dark elements has a place of dignity and worth without the ego chaos would erupt with the ego in control. You are blocked by the egocentricity that marred Faust in part one. Faust ran the show in part one and made a horrible tangle of the process, as the ego always does when it is in control. When faced with this dilemma, men are tempted to adopt a new kind of egocentricity in which they use their powers of dominating the world for spiritual purposes. Any thoughts? Yeah, again, the ego is magnificent. But if you don't transcend the ego, you can become uh, a, a spiritual egomaniac. Mm-hmm. This is this is no less egocentric than any previous use of the ego, and it constitutes a particularly vicious trap on the path. Further progress is not possible unless you realign your ego's place in your life. Jung described this moment of realignment as a relocation of the center of gravity of the personality. This process is painful since it consists of dethroning the ego that is rarely done. Any thoughts? Yeah, that's, that's good. The process requires that you give honor and dignity to every dimension of your life. The Christian version of the incarnation of God in Jesus Christ provides a wild example of this. Through the fact, though the fact is frequently ignored in our modern world, Christianity gives equal validity to the human and the divine dimension of Christ. Any variance in this balance is fatal to spiritual growth and is also the basic definition of heresy in the church. Most of us live in heresy, even if the concept is mostly discredited now, by giving dominance in our lives to one principle over all others. Any thoughts? It is a unity of life, not the triumph of one faculty over another. That is the goal of imagination, fantasy, and ceremony. Any thoughts? No. So, the next chapter, chapter four, four-dimensional man, Faust. Part one of Faust leaves us with no solution to the Faustian dilemma, but it also, but it does force the dilemma to consciousness. Faust is a suffering but conscious man at the end of part one. Though he has no idea what to do about this dilemma, he has become far more aware of his condition. That he was at the beginning of the play. Any thoughts? Yeah, he's up against the wall. Goethe spent most of his adult life writing Faust. He published part one in 1808 when he was 59 years old. He then worked steadily at the continuation of the play, but he did not allow part two to be published until after his death in 1832. Part two is an expression of the symbolic working of a man's soul. It is written in the language of imagination a kind of alchemical treatise, a fairy tale, a myth. It is only on this level that Faust can find a way out of his imprisonment in three-dimensional consciousness. The efforts of planning, reasoning, discipline, and heroic ventures would only further the emotional confusion of a man who has attained the degree of consciousness Faust has at the end of the part one. Again, it is only in the realm of symbol and ceremony that the solution can be found. Any thoughts? It's beyond the beyond the reach of, of the intellect. And rational thinking. Mm-hmm. This is a symbolic experience. Part two opens with a scene in the Emperor's court. Gold making is in progress. There is a great deal of heat, fire, and energy, but it is not certain that any gold has been produced. 
a boy charioteer mounts a horse and gallops off furiously, never to be heard from again. This is the first gift, pure, undifferentiated energy of the pure, the inner child of every man. Any thoughts? When a man consents to begin the interior journey, the symbolic quest, he may expect certain characteristic experiences. For a sojourner in this nearly tack, trackless land to have even a general knowledge of these coming events can be encouraging. A great deal of energy is produced when one touches a symbol or a symbolic experience. Emotions flare up, fear and exhilaration alternate, and inflations are extremely common. If you come to the emperor's court, a symbolic place deep in the unconscious, you must have enough emotional stability to withstand the intense heat and the strangeness of the journey. A guide or a teacher is of inestimable aid. Any thoughts? You need a Sherpa. The figure of the pure Aternus, the eternal youth, is central in this journey. Since the journey is largely outside the laws of the three-dimensional world of time and space, it is not surprising that the archetype of the pure Aternus is activated. The pure energy is, it's P-U-E-R. The pure energy is a man, in a man is that eternal inner child whose mentality is geared to the fantasy and whose eye is on heaven rather than on any practical endeavor. Some men don't integrate the energy maturely and as a result they go through life as dreamers but those very inner child qualities are Faust's salvation he has worn out his three-dimensional world and needs a vision of heaven to draw his shattered world back into coherence any thoughts yeah it's magnificent the first three are magnificent but they become bankrupt hmm so it says four. It says four pure figures appear in part two of Faust, and none of them are very practical. However, it is around these four figures that the necessary evolution takes place. The first is the boy charioteer who gallops off at full speed. Any man embarking on the symbolic quest must understand that he will be swept into one enthusiasm after another. Such enthusiasms soon wane and are forgotten. These senseless Enthusiasms can be discounted, but for the fact that they provide the energy for the mystic vision. This vision is a salvation of a three-dimensional man. Any thoughts? No. After this energetic but inconclusive episode, Faust makes an extraordinary demand to see Helen of Troy. Finally, he has the intelligence and perspective to ask for a vision of beauty and femininity, which Helen symbolizes. Mephistopheles outlines the way in which this request can be fulfilled, and it is at this very at the very heart of Faust's transformation from a, a time and space bound consciousness to the next level, which we often describe as holy, redeemed, enlightened, eternal, or visionary. Mephistopheles instructs Faust to go to the place of the mothers in the eternal depths, and insert his key into the tripod, and by this means summon Helen of Troy. Any thoughts? No. Uh, one second. Few sentences in the history of consciousness say so much in so few words. Go to the depths, the place of the mothers, and place the key in the tripod. This is the most concise instruction for making your way out of the three-dimensional world when you read when you're ready to move on to the uh, mature spirituality. Going to the depths indicates that the experience is profoundly inward and solitary. Mephistopheles may not accompany Faust on this journey. He must go alone. The journey requires extreme introversion and inward turning. 40 days and nights in the desert. Any thoughts? Yeah. You gotta go on the hero's journey. Jesus walked his lonesome valley. He had to walk it by himself. Yeah, well, it's interesting because uh, today I asked the, I asked a rabbi uh, about the letter about the number or about the letter M because you know Mer Merkel, Moses, you know Muhammad, you know like a lot of people. The M is a powerful letter. McDonald's, you know, 
and he was saying, and he said that the you know the gematria of the letter M is forty. M equals forty, and also if you if you separate the components of the letter M, because the components of each letter is made up of of different letters. If you separate them and you add the gematria that you get the letter twenty six, which is the the gematria of the tetragrammaton. Any thoughts? Yep. Oh, that's interesting. Mm -hmm. So it says, going to the place of the mothers is an act of regression, a psychologically incestuous act. Any thoughts? No. If done indiscriminately, this would be fatal for consciousness. But when done intelligently, it can be the opportunity for salvation. The place of the mothers is where consciousness and cultural and spiritual power originate returning to your origins and generating or regenerating yourself is the act of creating consciousness An old alchemical saying proclaims i find myself i mate with myself i generate myself i gestate myself i give birth to myself i am myself any thoughts our evolution thus far has been based on the rather tenuous observation of two, three, and four-dimensional levels of consciousness available to men. Now we have a direct mythic statement of the third level maybe turned into the fourth by adding the key to the tripod. This is critical for the evolution of Faust, as indicated by the following lines from the play. Any thoughts? All right, we'll try it out. What you call... Sheer nothingness, I hope to find the all. That's what Faust said, Mephistopheles. I'll praise you now before you start your trip. You know the devil to his fingertip. Here, take this key, Faust. That little thing, Mephistopheles, grasp a hold. It's not the trifle that it seems, Faust. It grows beneath my hand. It glows, it gleams, Mephistopheles. You see what great advantage it can bring? The key will scent the right place and skip others. Follow it down. It takes you to the mothers. Sink, then. I could as well say, rise. It makes no difference. Hey, Doss. From forms developed, flee. Into realms which are from forms set free. Rejoice in things long vanished from our eyes, whose flies like cloud processions wend their way. Brandish the key and hold them all at bay. Faust. Now, as I clasp it, Tight, new strength be mine. My heart expands now for the great design. Mephistopheles, a glowing tripod, last of all, will show that you have reached the deepest depths below. And by its gleam, the mothers you will see, some seated there or as the case may be. And make your way straight to that tripod's light and touch it with the key. Any thoughts? No. The use of the tripod and key is a literary device to indicate the addition of the one to three. This results in the four, the consciousness that is the true goal of humanity. By working most of the lifetime at the task of civilization, an educated, intelligent man has erected a tripod of life. This is something similar to the Christian construction of the Holy Trinity. Both are symbols of a consciously constructed way of life that is cultured and civilized, but inevitably leads out The fourth element. Christianity raised a fine Trinitarian structure, but had to reckon with Satan or the devil as a neglected element. Civilization has raised high culture, but it now must reckon with its shadow or dark side as a neglected element. It is the addition of the neglected element that brings an individual or a culture to wholeness. Any thoughts? I would say that would be like, you know, the, the black people or, you know, the scapegoats. You know the the fourth element, the the shadow that you're trying to neglect, and say, oh, they're the bad guys. No, they are you. Any thoughts on that? Yeah. Good. So it says the evolution of three to four. Jung was fascinated by the evolution of consciousness represented by the number three moving to four. He spent his later years on this subject, and his last several books are occupied with this phenomenon. He saw that the number three represented a consciousness that was time-dominated, devoting, devoted to acting, doing, processing, accomplishing. We live in an age that holds a Trinitarian view of theology. 
the doctrine of Holy Trinity is basic to the Christianity of our time, and the Holy Trinity is an exact model of our modern consciousness. The number four, though, denotes being eternity, peace, and, and contemplation. Dr. Jung never tired of pointing out that we live in an age where the collective unconscious is devoted to the evolution from three to four. Virtually every modern person is drawn into this evolution in dreams of these symbols. Often the dreams directly involve three turning into four, though it is extremely rare that people have any conscious awareness of what this process involves or means. Any thoughts? I mean, that's how I discovered the quadra model. I was thinking, why is there three personality types, not four? You know? I mean, why is there four, not three? But any thoughts? If our civilization is to negotiate the perilous years immediately ahead, it will be by virtue of this evolution. Dr. Jung was often asked if we would make it. He always replied, if enough people will make the necessary evolution within themselves. The evolution of consciousness, which is so often pictured as an evolution from three to four. For the people, the transition from three-dimensional to four-dimensional consciousness is exceedingly painful. Medieval Christianity called it the dark night of the soul. Dante called it the journey through hell and purgatory. It was the 40 days and 40 nights. Any thoughts? In the desert of Jesus, it was a journey in the belly of the fish for many a hero. For a modern man, is it is a midlife crisis or worse, a nervous breakdown or still worse, physical suicide. The process can be summed up in one sentence. It is the relocating of the center of the personality from the ego to a center greater than oneself. The superpersonal center has been variously called the self, the Christ nature, the Buddha nature, superconsciousness, cosmic consciousness, Satori, and Samadhi. This relocation appears to be death when viewed from the perspective of the ego. Zen masters observe that Satori, their term for non-personal center of consciousness, can be viewed by the ego as nothing but total disaster. And death it is. The ego loses its supremacy and goes through a short time of violent suffering. Any thoughts? No. When someone no one looks upon the face of no mm -hmm. one looks upon the face of God and lives. Mm -hmm. See when you when you encounter that fourth dimension, everything that you clung to and believed in and relied upon dies. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't? When someone threatens suicide at this time, I caution him that he must be very careful to do it without harming his body. The relocation of the center of the personality is a form of suicide and is best done voluntarily by the ego. Mezumi Roshi, a Zen master in Los Angeles, once said, Why don't you die now and enjoy the rest of your life? There's a story about the process in Shake... Any thoughts on There's a story about the process in Shakespeare's King Lear, Gloucester, who has been cruelly blinded and shorn of all his worldly possessions, power, and family, is wandering in misery on the dark, wet moorlands of England. His loyal son, disguised as a peasant boy, has come to protect him. Gloucester begs the peasant boy to take him to the cliffs of Dower so that he might hurl himself off and end his misery. His son takes him to the center of a field and convinces the suffering old man that he is on the edge of the cliff, and Gloucester hurls himself over the edge, only to land in the middle of the field in which he was standing. But so great was his suffering that he thinks he has gone over the cliff, and so now he stands up enlightened and relieved of his suffering. He recognizes his son and utters some of the most sublime lines in literature. Gloucester did his suicide correctly. Any thoughts? says, Faust has won a vision of Helen of Troy by taking his perilous journey into the maternal depths. It is as if when he touches the great maternal feminine, he unlocks the greatest feminine beauty, Helen of Troy. But Faust immediately blunders in a highly instructive way if we heed it. Any thoughts? Faust tries to embrace Helen of Troy to have a personal relationship with her. But there is a huge explosion. Helen vanishes and Faust is left lying unconscious on the ground. Faust is burned and near 
nearly destroyed by attempting to have the wrong kind of relationship to the archetypal world. It is not terribly difficult to open up the unconscious. Almost anyone can do it, but it is exceedingly difficult to enter into a relationship with the super personal forces that this unleashes. Any thoughts? what that's saying is you can experience or participate in the flow but you can't grasp it you can't lock into it you can't possess it and it doesn't you can't hold on to it and it doesn't when you have earned your enlightenment at the cost of the deep inner journey your first reaction is often to personalize this experience to own it somehow as Jung observed, if you have an assimilating match with a tiger, you know who who will assimilate whom. Faust makes a serious... Any thoughts? Any thoughts? No. Faust makes a serious mistake, as, does most, as do most people who travel this far on their inner road. Archetypes and archetypal energy are bigger than we are. We cannot try to embrace that energy without causing a psychological explosion. Any thoughts? No. Mephistopheles is helpful at this moment and gently carries Faust back to his dusty study for a bit of or, or, ordinariness. The word ordinariness is derived from ordered, and ordinariness is the very best medicine for inflation of egocentricity. Any thoughts? To embrace that which is ordinary can restore us to human dimension and can purge the inflation. Wagner is in the study and together he and Metaphysophocles restore Faust. Wagner, who was not occupied who has not occupied an attractive place thus far in the story, shows his usefulness now. That which is dry, pedestrian, and bookish can have a healing effect at critical moments. An iconoclast needs to learn that a little reason and discipline are not hindrances on his way to heaven. Any thoughts? The second pure, the homunculus. Wagner, Mr. Dry as Dust, has been busy with his alchemy and has magically produced a homunculus, a man the size of a thumb. This man-made creature, the second appearance of the pure Eternus, has a wonderful power of, it's P-U-E-R, has a wonderful power of, A-E-T-E-R-N-I-S, has a wonderful power of serving as a guide back to ancient Greece, to which Faust is allowed to have access. Like India today, Greece had close contact with the dark elements of life and with the gods and goddesses that represented these forces, but it had no concept of evil comparable to our own. Any thoughts? No. What's the name of this book? Transformation. By Robert By Johnson. Robert Johnson? Yeah. I could send you it. Yeah, that'd be good. Alright, yeah, I could send you a copy. I appreciate that. I could send you a copy. Alright, right? So it says, it is nearly impossible. Uh, oh, you, you just have to... You, it, it's really easy. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you how to do it, but you just have to set up a, a uh, what's it called? An internet archive account. It's so simple. All you have to do is just uh, go to internet archive and uh, internet archive dot, or it's archive.org um, or and, and just set up an account. Just You just have to give your email and that's it. Your email and a password. Internet, internet archive.org. Yeah. And just set up an account. And then and I'll, I'll send you the, the link that you can use. All right. Okay, thanks. It is also a remarkable experience to be in such an environment. India has a trinity of gods with a fourth quite outside that trinity, a structure similar to our own trinity and devil. Brahma, Vishnu, and Shiva occupy the noble trinitarian positions while Krishna is left to carry the earth, earthy side of things. In this scheme, Krishna corresponds to our Christian devil. But what a vast difference. Lord Krishna is a happy adolescent with 16,000 wives. He spends his time sport, sporting with the gopis, who are the milk maidens of heaven. Any thoughts? 
There is no place for evil in this cosmology, just as there was no place for it in ancient Greece. Mephistopheles finally finds a place for himself there. When he discovers a concept of himself there, when he discovers a concept of ugliness, the closest possibility to his own nature, he comes along as a hideous old hag with one tooth and one eye. Any of those? The homunculus being a magical creation of man explodes. Oh, did, did you respond to those emails I sent you? Or anything? Um, I don't remember. Last night or no? Yeah. I did just recently, but I don't know whether it was your last ones. Well, what, what was what was it on? What the questions? I don't remember. Alright, so it says, the homunculus being a magical creation of man explodes in a blinding flash when it encounters a Greek ideal of beauty. None of our human ideas of beauty and nobility hold up in the face of archetypal beauty. The third pure, euphorian. Any thoughts? No. Faust awakens to find himself in his beloved ancient Greece and has another chance to relate to Helen of Troy, the ultimate expression of feminine beauty. This time with more caution and a setting more worthy of the magnitude of the meeting, Faust is allowed to make a less personal and brief marriage with Helen. They immediately produce a full-grown youth, Euphorian, who is the patron of art. His energy can produce inspiration and artistic expression. This is the third appearance of the eternal boy, the pure Eternus. Euphorian immediately flies up to the heavens to get the tools of the poet the poet for Faust. But like Icarus, he flies too close to the sun, burns his wings, and falls impotent into the sea. The pure has again tried to help, but his limitations and his vulnerability to inflation and egocentricity are now clear. Any thoughts? No. It is a universal experience of one on the path to grasp at the tools of genius when he encounters these sublime realms. Pain often compels us to think nothing personal has worked well in my life. So I will write. So I will write. Any thoughts? No. That will be a realm where I can express myself. This is basically correct. But in fact, the old self, the three-dimensional man, tries to do this in an egocentric way and therefore his efforts are doomed. This is to say that you should not write or paint, but you must understand that your first attempts will be so ego-contaminated that they will catch fire and fall into the sea like Euphorian. Any thoughts? Yeah. That's yeah, definitely that's, true. That's a... Yeah. Um, it, it was like uh, my first based on two storybooks were not that good, but this one that I've been writing now is very good. It has been very good, you know? Because I have because I have insight about the past that I didn't have when I when I looked at the videos that I had. You know, any thoughts? My thoughts in my in my old writing. From, from from 2011. So it says, Faust is learning, however, and a sublime event now occurs. Faust embraces Helen of Troy, but she slips out of his grasp. Mephistopheles whispers to Faust, hold on to her garment, which will carry you above the commonplace. Helen of Troy vanishes. The great archetypal vision fades away, but she has left enough of herself to activate the artistic visionary faculty in Faust. And this lesser way of possessing Helen is... Not too much for mortals to bear. When you know at what level and in what manner you can relate to the impersonal archetypal world, you are truly safe. Then creation can begin. Any thoughts? No. This may seem only a tiny sliver of your first vision, but that is quite enough to bring into the everyday world. Many an artist has failed his calling because he refused a limited less than perfect expression of his original vision a man cannot handle the great artistic tools of the boy god euphorian and he may not be able to embrace the superhuman vision of pure beauty helen of troy but a man can touch helen's garment which is sufficient to bring a small part of his artistic vision into creation to do more would burn up in gigantic inflation any thoughts is reclaiming the land from the sea the drama is nearing its end and faust and mephistopheles are drawing closer each has 
tempered the other. Each has healed the other. Mephistopheles feels his demonic power over Faust diminishing and makes a rather feeble effort to regain control of Faust. He asks if there is anything that Faust would like. Nothing, replies Faust. The insatiable man whom infinity would scarcely satisfy at the beginning of the play has come close to contentment and peace. Any thoughts? Much, much healing has taken place. Would you not like to have the moon? Asks Mephistopheles. No, Faust replies. But he asks for a piece of coastline so that he might reclaim land from the sea. Water, particularly the ocean, is a universal symbol of unconscious. And Faust is asking for eternal connection with the depths represented by the sea. Any thoughts? The true work of man in the latter part of life is the cultural process of bringing up some of the contents of the unconscious and integrating them into consciousness. This is the process symbolized by reclaiming land from the sea. Mephistopheles arranges the quite easily, this quite easily for Faust and we soon find him dredging canals, building dikes, taking land from the sea and adding it to the landmass. He is happy and content with the project and is deeply absorbed in it. He finally has attained some measure of peace. Any thoughts? No. That's probably about enough for today. Okay. That's good, that's good stuff. I'll, I'll look forward to spending time contemplating that. I'm still, I'm still working on biocentric. Biocentrism. Oh, yeah. You like it? Yeah. All right. Okay, later. I think about